It was 1794, during a reign of terror in the dungeons of Paris, where those detained were headed to the guillotine. But on this particular night, an older gentleman who has been taken there began to roam. He began to walk among the people, looking to see if he knew anyone. And as he was looking, he couldn't believe his eyes. He looked again. He got closer to the sleeping young man, laying on the ground in that cold dungeon, concrete. It was his own son, his only son. The father thought about the terrible ordeal that laid before them. Instead of thinking of himself, he thought, oh, how can I help my son? Then it dawned on him. They had the same name. I know what I'll do. Staying close to his sleeping son, the three soldiers came in and called his name. The father, jumping up, said, here I am. Come this way. Your name, Gene Simmons? That's me. 37? No, I'm 73. The soldier muttered, what a stupid mistake. The older gentleman was taken to the guillotine where he was, died. The sermon today is called The Wedding Imitation. It is also about someone who gave his life for another. My daughter Mandy gave me an invitation to their wedding. It even had conditions. I had to behave, and if you would have known me B.C., before Christ, this was not going to be easy. She informed me also I had to be sociable. And finally she said, Dad, please, please keep your opinions to yourself. I accepted the invitation with the coaching of my lovely wife, and I made it through. Not only did she back me and support me back then with all my baggage, she supports me now in my walk with Christ. And who doesn't like a wedding? Especially if it's a family member or a close friend. You get a little excited. You look forward to the celebration. You make the preparation no matter what at cost. At least, that's what I was told. And what leads up to this special day? It starts with an attraction, a friendship. You're smitten by each other. You spend time together. You fall in love. There's a proposal, an engagement. It turns into planning and arrangements, and then the actual event of the wedding. If you've ever been through a wedding, the journey can be fun, exciting, laughter that can turn into struggle, time-consuming, tears, frustration, all this until that important date. It reminds me of another journey, that of our spiritual most important, though, through all this, is that you end up at the banquet, on time, dressed for the occasion. Dear Lord God, you're an amazing God, you're a faithful God. I ask now that the words that are spoken here are your words, not mine. I ask that they will touch someone's heart to bring them close to the cross of Calvary. You're an amazing God. Pour down your Holy Spirit upon this congregation. And we give you all the glory and hide me as you give the message. We praise you, Lord, and glorify your name. Amen. I want us to look at Matthew 21. We see that Zachariah 
And that's what I love about the Bible. Zechariah, let's see, 500 years before, before the birth of Christ. And when we go to Matthew 21, 5, verse 5, it tells of the people of Zion. It tells of the people of Israel. Look, your king is coming. He's riding on a donkey. In verse 11, and this is the prophet, Jesus, who has come to be our king. The people gathered in the street. There was an excitement in the air. They laid the palms down before Jesus, but not all were rejoicing. Those who have rejected Jesus had a different reaction. The Savior, I'm sure, was sad as he looked at the people. He known that they did not quite understand. Some say Jesus doesn't have emotion. Some say Jesus doesn't hurt. I beg to differ with you. When I weep, my Jesus weeps with me. When I celebrate, my Jesus celebrates with me. Allie, I don't want to embarrass you, but I remember your father, Pastor Don, when he baptized me. There was a celebration in heaven. Pastor Don and I had tears in our eyes. Those tears were not of sadness, but of joy. And I want you to know that heaven was rejoicing with us. In Luke 19, 41, as Jesus looked over Jerusalem, he wept. The desires of ages said his eyes were so filled with tears. His body rocked to and four like a tree in the wind. There was anger burst from his lips, all from the death of a broken heart. O oh, Jerusalem, O oh, Jerusalem, you have rejected the Son of God and you despise his love. My message today, I have tried to cut it short and to the point because I do not want my brother Joe to use it against me. The parable of the wedding banquet, Matthew 22, 1 to 14. I was told as a young man to always trust, but to verify. So break out your weapons, your Bibles, and let me know when you get there. Matthew 22, 1 to 14. Amen? The way men and women are selected for the kingdom of heaven can, can be compared to a king who prepared a banquet for his son wedding. In this parable, Christ is telling a story that people could relate to back then. 
Back in that history, they would arrange the marriage for his son or daughter. By the way, my mother arranged our marriage. I know that's hard to understand. What she did is she arranged my wife to come up and to forgive me for my stupidness. You know, a Jewish mother has a way with words. She didn't mix them. And I said that in Sabbath school today. She said, get a grip, son. Don't lose something so valuable. Then the king and the parents would draw up a marriage contract. The bride and the groom would meet. The contract would be signed. Back in this time of history, they would go back to their own homes. Even though they did not live in the same house, they were considered married at that point of the acceptance of the contract. They were separated, but they were united until the actual time of the ceremony. The bride would remain with her parents. The groom would return home and come for his bride without notice. Wow. That system back in this day reminds me of a system in the Bible. It's when you and I give our hearts to Jesus, we are partners. We enter into a marriage contract. Yet in a physical sense, we are separated but spiritually we're united until the celebration when we all get to heaven. And I love that song. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I look forward to that day. I want to look at the spiritual meaning of this parable. The king is who? God, the father. The son who is being honored at the banquet is Jesus. The marriage arrangement is a union of humanity and divinity. The contract was completed and signed at the cross 2,000 years ago when Christ left his heavenly home to come to this world. He gave his life for you and I. I often think about that. I ponder it. The thought of Calvary knowing he loved us that much. Jesus in this parable is comparing heaven to a wedding banquet that the king compared for his son or that God has prepared for Jesus. He sends out his servants to remind those that receives this royal invitation to get ready for the celebration because soon, very soon, his son would be coming for the bride and the wedding would begin. Back in this time, there was two invitations. We see the original invitation to let the people know about the banquet. Then there was another when the feast was ready. The wedding banquet for a Jewish family was a celebration. Friends and family would come all over from all over the country through the dusty trails. They wouldn't just spend a day together. They would spend days together 
The king would honor the guests with an invitation, and the guests would respond with a promise to come. That was the initial invitation. The lower the person's status, the more punctual that person was expected to be. It reminds me of a verse in Luke 7, 47. He who has been forgiven much, loveth much. If you did not respond, it was an insult to the king. In the culture back then, it had a consequence with severe results. The same is today. Verse 4. Again, again, the king sends out another invitation, this time by other servants. The second invitation was standard procedure. This time it was telling them to come. The banquet was ready. The table has been set. The roast veal of lamb was ready. By the way, lamb was the chosen food of the Israelites. I never tasted it until I was preparing for this. And I was walking through Costo because a lot of times I go through there and I get my mid-morning snack. And believe it or not, they had lamb sitting out there. And I said, well, you know, it was the Israelites. They, they liked it. It must be pretty good, you know. So my palate began to water and I was thinking, wow, I can't wait. So I took the biggest chunk they had. Whew. There were so many people, I didn't know what to do. I was looking for a corner. I guess the Israelites just didn't have roast beef with good old gravy or that fried southern chicken. Or maybe some imitation vegetarians. I didn't forget you, you vegans. Maybe some imitation scallops out there. I don't know. But the point is that the banquet was ready. Come and celebrate. The table is set. Verse 5. But they, those who had this special, special invitation, made light of it. And they went their way. The Jewish people, they didn't understand. They were looking in all the wrong different directions. Looking for a savior of this world. Someone to release the yoke of the Romans. They picked up their mail. They read the email, but they never returned to RSVP. They didn't take the invitation seriously. And they continued in their usual business of buying, selling, investing. They returned to their farms. They returned to their businesses of this world. Their entertainment. They couldn't find the time to accept even an invitation from a king. They continued in the plans what was important to them and their everyday activity. Now don't miss this. They were personally invited. 
and they refused. And this was an insult to the king. What was even sadder, it was his own people. They didn't recognize him. In John 1.11, his own people, his own family, the nation of Israel, rejected the initial invitation. When we look at the Old Testament, I think we can see how much God loved Israel, the Jewish people. When you look at Isaiah 43, 3 and 4, God speaking to the Israelites, I am your personal God. I am your personal king. You are precious in my sight. You are my witness. Back to Matthew 22, verse 6. Those who were chosen to deliver this special invitation or the message to God, chosen people, those who would tell of His coming, they were mistreated, they were even killed. The prophets in the Old Testament who delivered God's message, we look at Isaiah, Amos, Elijah, Jeremiah, and then we look at the disciples. Paul was beheaded. Peter was hung upside down as requested. Andrew said to be crucified in Asia Minor. Thomas was pierced by four spears. Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. James was stoned and clubbed to death. All for doing what? All for delivering an invitation. All for delivering a message. A message of love. A message of our hope. And the king was furious in verse 7. He was disappointed. He was hurt. He was angry. And he set out the armies to the murderers and destroyed their cities. Many believe, many theologians believe that this was the judgment on Israel. The destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. It's in our history books. Verse 8, the wedding is ready. The time is coming. The event. Those who were invited has chose not to accept. And they're not worthy. Nor did they deserve to come. It was not because the invited guests would not come to the feast. It was that they would not come. How tragic. How indicative of human nature. We are offered the blessings of God. The love of God. And we refuse. Because of the drawer of this world. Because of our earthly affairs. And I get it. Have you ever noticed that everything happens on Friday night and Saturday? 
I never noticed it until I gave my life to Christ. Are we going out? I have a wonderful family, by the way. They have supported me 120% in my walk with Christ. They have to had made some major changes. Every Friday night, we would go out with others. Every Friday night now, I study and I'm in prayer, and I keep the Sabbath. I believe in the Sabbath. I'm convicted of the Sabbath. They support that. I believe this whole world that's happening in it is by design. But I tell you, I've made a commitment. I've chose to serve and honor God. And that means every day. And I delight in His Sabbath. My friends and family are here today not only to say that they love me, but by their actions, they prove how much. See, love is an action word. And I'm supported by those closest to me. Verse 9, this time the king said, go. Go out in the world. Extend that invitation to everyone. Gentile and Jew. When we look at Matthew, it fits that view. Putting the emphasis on the Jewish Christian message to the Gentile. In Acts 13, 46, we have spoken the word of God to you first, the Jewish nation. You've rejected it. You've judged yourself unworthy. It's your choice. Now we will turn to the Gentiles. The gospel of the message of love and salvation, Jesus taught, would be made available to everyone. I struggled with that. Isn't the message from the foundation of the earth for all of us? Doesn't it say, preach the gospel to all people? Tongue? I had to do some research. What was going on back in this history time? I'm only going to give you a little tidbit. And it comes out of the desires of ages of page 351. The disciples on their first tour were only to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. God's special people. See, he's lived with them. He was in the wilderness with them. He cared for them. He loved Israel. But why? Why not the Gentiles? If they would have preached the gospel to the Gentiles, they would have lost their influence with the Jews by exciting the prejudice of the Jewish nation. All other people were not chosen. At least that's what the Jewish people were taught. It would have involved themselves in a controversy that would have discouraged the disciples from the outset of their labor. My goodness. He doesn't change today, does he? How controversy today is used to distract, to discourage, to hurt, and to keep people away from the message of God. Even 
the apostles who walked and supped with Christ were slow to understand that the gospel was for all people and all nations. Peter finally got it in Acts 10, 28. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Verse 10. The king's servant went out. He invited everyone. The wedding hall was full. Family were there. Can you imagine friends meeting friends? Relatives. There was joy in the air. There was laughter. You and I also have an invitation to this banquet. Some of us maybe feel, how can I go? How can I go to this celebration? Look at me. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. Look at the things that I've done. I'm so unclean. I feel filthy. Can I be forgiven? I don't have anything to wear to cover me. I am so happy to tell you that I have a Savior and you have a Savior today that accepts you as you are, loves you enough not to leave you there, and we are covered in His robe of righteousness. Go with me. Go with me to Matthew 9, 10 to 12. I love the Gospels. Jesus is dining with Matthew. Matthew, a tax collector. Matthew, a sinner. Matthew, socially unacceptable. He has the audacity to invite his unsocially unacceptable colleagues. He has the audacity to invite his socially unacceptable friends. Can you hear the buzz? I can. Here was Jesus dining. Jesus, the king of the universe, Dining with the lowest of the low. There's a little single lady from church. Her heart was in the right place. But her delivery was a little bit mixed up. You ever seen that? We're just going to call this gentleman John from the church. John every Friday night would park his truck right across from the bar. He would go in there. Well, after about three or four weeks, this little lady put the buzz in the church. She said, we need to pray for our brother. He's become an alcoholic. Well, the brother heard it. He said, he didn't answer it. He didn't address it. He took his truck and he parked it every Saturday night in front of this single woman's house. 
Can you imagine the buzz? We need to be careful. The point that I'm making is perception is not always factual. Matthew 9, verse 12, Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. He was looking at the Pharisees, I believe, with a sadness. Those are well, those who are righteous, those who are sinless in their own eyes don't need a Savior. Only those who are sick, sinners, get a little mixed up, such as myself. I need a Savior. Luke 18, 10 to 13. Two men, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. You know the story. The Pharisee stands up at his own righteousness. He declared, I'm not like other men. I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheat. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. The tax collector, he saw himself unworthy. And he beats his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, the Lord desires mercy and grace. Back to Matthew 9, 13. I mean, back, back. now is the time to start our preparation for the journey to the banquet hall. And sometimes it is going to be smooth. Sometimes, I don't know if anybody did any sailing here. Sometimes it's easy sailing. I call it country riding. But sometimes it's going to be a city chaos. I don't know if you noticed the traffic in Tallahassee. It's gotten a little bit crazy. You're going to have rough terrains. It's going to be storming. You're going to have trials. It's our choice to accept in faith with all the elements and all the trials for us to gather at the feast. Not in our robe, but in His. I want you to look at what happened to one of the Pharisees. He's a sinless man. In his own eyes, in verse 11, the king comes in, he sees the guests, and he saw this gentleman who didn't have the special wedding garment. What this is implying, the king supplies the wedding garment, and he knows his own people. Is his righteousness not our works? Is his righteousness is the only, only acceptable garment? There is no substitute, no matter who you are, what education you have, how good you think you are will not get you into the entrance of the banquet. Not even, and don't throw stones at me, if you keep all the commandments, if you don't have that personal relationship with Christ. Because without the robe of Jesus, you are not covered.
And the man was speechless. Don't miss this. This man was given the opportunity to wear the garment supplied by the king. But he decided his garment, his works, was acceptable. His garment was suitable. And it would carry him to the celebration, the banquet, in the wedding feast. Verse 12. How did you get in? Are you not being a little presumptuous that you could look good in that knockoff robe? That in itself was not the offense. The offense was refusing to wear the garment provided by the king. You have an invitation wearing your own garment or your own self-worth is an insult to the host. And I can see the king. Did I not send you a personal invitation? Didn't I supply you with everything you needed? And I gave you my son. You were given the garment to wear, which you refused. Yet you insult me by coming with your own garment, with your own self-worth. And that host was in no mood for any more insults. Hasn't the guest of honor been insulted enough? Verse 13 The king spoke. Bind him hand and foot and there will be weeping and gashing of teeth. Every choice has a consequence. Either positive, negative, good, bad, joyful, sad. Proverbs 14, 12. A way that seems right to a man ends, leads to death. Verse 14. That is how it is with the kingdom of heaven. Everyone is given a royal invitation to come to the wedding. Everyone can celebrate with the king and his son. But many are called. Don't miss this. But few are chosen. Ah. I had to think about that. And then it dawned on me. Chosen here is in the content of accepting. Few accept once they see the cost. Let me break it down. My wife likes her purse. She'll probably never come back. <laughs> I've been picking on her. But she does. She likes her purse, and that's okay. But she likes the real deal. Well, I'm kind of fugal, I think. And I found one just like it. The only difference was on the inside, it wasn't leather. It was vinyl. 
I heard the ladies laugh. They must be relating. And I said, honey, how about this? Here's the point. You could not tell it was false. It was fate till you looked on the inside. All things of value has a cost and is real on the inside and the outside. See, our only hope lies in Jesus Christ. In 14, John 14, 6. I am the way. The cross is the way to the salvation. Christ paid for the robe with His righteousness. It was by His death. It was by His sacrifice. The garment to the banquet, don't miss this, I not put on by anyone after He enters the banquet. That tells me the investigated judgment is clearly going on now. All who enter will have a robe of Christ's righteousness. No robe will be half washed. No robe will have vinyl on the inside. All will be pure, spotless, and made white in the blood of the Lamb. It's when we give up our self-sufficiency, our own self-trust, in exchange for the life of a faithful obedience to Christ. And that's our only hope. Our only hope is a personal relationship with Christ. You remember the story of the father who gave his life for his son? And when his son woke up, he wondered why no one has come for him. He waited until this gentleman approached him. And he told the story of the older gentleman who was sitting by him on that cold, dungy dungeon last night. He told him he stayed right there, right there with you, right beside you, until they called your name. He responded. He went to death for you. It was just three days later, the ringleader of the great reign of terror was himself taken to the guillotine, bringing his reign to an end, 1794. I don't want you to miss this. The young man was able to walk out alive, not because of what he has done. He'd owed his life to the one who is willing to take his place. And this is what Christ has done for you and me. In Isaiah 53.6, a scripture reading, all, all, it doesn't say one or two, it says all are like sheep have gone astray and turned to our own ways. But it doesn't stop there. It says, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. When our name is called, Jesus is laying right next to us. 
on that cold concrete in that dungeon. And he says, here I am. I've covered you. I've covered you. I've covered your sins in my righteousness. I gave for my life for you. Your mind. See, we have a personal invitation sent by our Savior Jesus to the celebration. The Father, and I don't understand, sent His Son in our place for what we deserve. He was willing to die and take your place and my place on the cross of Calvary. The question is, are you willing to accept His invitation? Are you willing to give your heart to Him? He gave the best He had for us. He gave His Son. And He's longing to celebrate with you and I. There's nothing more he desires than a relationship with us. Nothing more than he wants than a personal, a personal relationship. But you have to choose. You have to accept. There might be some in here today that's never had the opportunity. Or maybe they... struggle a little. You know, maybe they've gotten sidetracked. Maybe they lost their way. Today, I ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Everyone, to bow your heads and close your eyes. Those with every eye bowed, every eye closed, and every head bowed, those who've kind of lost their way a little bit, just raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to make that commitment. I want to be with you in that celebration, I want to be by your side. I'm a little mixed up. Just raise your hand and to show that you are a sister. Amen. 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 We've all been there. We've all gotten strayed. We're all like sheep that's gone our own way. But we have a faithful God. You can put your hands down. I ask the Lord to pour out a special blessing for each and every one of us today. Let us stand as we sing our closing song.